Does COVID have you feeling stalled at work? Cornell ILR Professional Education can help you get back on the road to career growth. Visit discover.ilr.cornell.edu to get started. Work is all around us. It defines us. The future of work impacts nearly every person on our planet, and the ILR School at Cornell University is influencing policy and practice on the most pressing issues facing employees and employers. In this episode of Work, Cornell ILR School Dean Alex Colvin and New York Times reporter Eduardo Porter discuss the impact of the coronavirus on workers and the economy in the U.S. and globally. You know, something uh, going on currently uh, that's obviously disrupted, starting to disrupt the economy a lot, and that's the whole coronavirus um, episode going on. Um, you know, I was, I've just been reading this book by... Uh, uh, Peter Frankopan, The Silk Roads, and he's talking about how the, the silk uh, roads and the spice trade across Asia to Europe was one of the conduits for the Black Death back in the 1300s. And today we're seeing in our modern inter- interconnected economy that uh, disease can spread just like parts from a production facility in China. But, you know, as much as the actual dangers of the, of the virus, uh, it's, we're starting to see that kind of human reaction uh, process where things are shutting down because of people's fears and, and panics. And it seems like that kind of human element really can't be taken away from uh, those kind of dismal economic models. Yeah, no, that's right. And in fact, this coronavirus incident uh, uh, um, is actually um, suggests, a, I mean, I think that that is pro-tech. Yeah. The, this idea of, you know, the, 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 the coronavirus uh, pandemic, I'm not sure that if the WHO is already called right. it a pandemic, but it, it, it looks like one from here. Yeah, yeah. Um, will actually kind of encourage the, this kind of like the deglobalization urges that we've been hearing about of late. The yeah. idea that we want to produce closer to, to consumer markets, that we are, we're trusting less these far-flung global production chains, and we want to be more in control of the production process. I mean, things like the coronavirus are going to actually push in that direction. And so I wonder whether, you know, this in the end, I mean, this has a potential, I'm not I'm saying that it will, but I think this has a potential of having us rethink the entire global economic order that we've had for, you know, the last 30, 40 years. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a really important point that this does, uh, crisis points tend to shift our thinking about uh, systems and we tend to proceed along, you know, in sort of routines as usual. And when something shakes up, it does kind of push things off. Um, you know, when you talk about the sort of way technology plays into this, Technology can connect us, but also uh, pull us apart. The uh, uh, interesting story I was reading this morning is about a, a business in England that has ordered all its workers to work from home because there was one uh, employee who'd been in Italy, came back, um, and he appears that he may have uh, contracted the virus. So everybody's working remotely from home. So none of us are coming in together, and we're all going to sit sit at home. So technology can pull us, uh, you know, apart, uh, I think, as well as connecting us together. Yeah, um, yeah. Even even before, here's, uh, here's a thought that I've been, I've been, you know, chewing on for some, from some time, because even before the coronavirus, there was some evidence out there 
that the model of economic development that has powered China for the mm -hmm. last 30 years was sort of coming to a close and that all the rest of the developing world, all those countries that had still to kind of like latch themselves onto the global production chain were sort of out of luck because yeah. the global production chain was petering out. And, and, you know, technologies like 3D printing and stuff like that were part of this story. Mm -hmm. And there's a, really there's a really interesting paper by Danny Roderick from the Kennedy School that looks at the peak manufacturing employment in, in countries across history. Yeah. And you find that peak manufacturing employment occurs at a much later stage, at a much higher income in early manufacturing countries like the United States and Germany and, and even in the kind of like the early late manufacturing successes like Japan. Yep. But then over time, peak manufacturing employment is happening at a, at a, at a lower and lower income level, suggesting yeah. that, you know, manufacturing is going to do less and less to pull countries out of poverty um, um, in, into the future. I mean, if this trend were to continue. And that kind of like fits the idea of technology replacing workers in poor countries to make stuff. Right. right. And so I wonder if this, you know, further encouraged by stuff like like coronavirus um, um, it, it, it is going to reshape of the future in where with much more localized production, which as a consequence is going to shut out at the avenues of development that we've known for poorer countries. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, because if you think about the calculations that um, an American business says and thinking about going to putting production in China or Vietnam or, you know, other kind of developing countries, they're going to have to make a calculation. And the calculations about the relative benefits of moving over there versus the cost of more distant production, um, the uncertainty that's going to come in operating in different country, different legal system, uh, things like the coronavirus adds to that uncertainty, right? Raises the cost of doing it. And if at the same time, if the technology is allowing greater ability to do it here, you know, with some additional labor costs here. But there may be a tipping point for a lot of those decisions that starts pulling uh, pulling production back here, which in one sense is good, right, for the American um, economy if that's happening. But at the same time, if you think about the world economy and lifting these countries up out of poverty, um, they're vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would just like, I would push back a little bit on the notion that this is good for the American economy. Uh -huh. I mean, my guess is that, yes, on average, it's probably yeah. good for the American economy, but how that goodness is distributed is, yeah. up, is, is still up for grabs. So the way that, I, that if you look at the, our recent past, I would, I would suggest that most of that extra good that comes from re so relocating stuff in the U.S. and having it made by machines, that, that, that's going to accrue to capital, not to labor. Yeah. And, and so there's a distributional uh, question to be answered, even, you know, if, if, if the, the American economy as a whole might benefit, how those additional benefits are distributed. Uh, needs to be needs to be thought about. Where do you think we're heading in terms of the impact of that on uh, some work and employment? Um, we, we is this is this potentially going to be a big hit in the in the economy? Uh, it seems a lot of uncertainty right now. But uh, what's what's your sense of where things are heading? You know, I I have really no great vantage point onto that question. So this is a very you know sitting here in my yeah 
freaking out kind of. <laughs> it's, I mean, my guess is just from the impact on China, it has to have hurt global production and global yeah. demand in, in a substantial way that we probably haven't yet seen, you know, play out through the global economy. I mean, I'm sure there was some inventories that were that have been now depleted um, because of you know we've shut down on deliveries and stuff like that. So I do see. I I would not at all be surprised by a whatever half a percent of GDP hit to the global economy. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And in fact, if you told me it's a two percent hit to the global yeah. economy, you wouldn't surprise me at all. That's a really, really, really big hit. Yeah. But it kind of depends on how much of this stuff shuts down. Because this morning I'm reading about plans of the U.S. school system to, you know, to shut schools and, and have kids learn from their computers at home. Now, that is a, that's 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 a huge impact. Yeah. 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 And perhaps, you know, the impact's going to be something like the metaphor of us sitting here talking remotely uh, doing the podcast, people listening in uh, without going out. Um, and maybe we, we keep doing this, but we don't go out to the Starbucks to get the coffee because, you know, we're quarantining. And then it's the Starbucks person who gets the Starbucks uh, fire gets fired. Yeah. Cut, you know, um, for sure. That, I think that's sort of like how it how it pans out. Yeah. And um, but, you know, there, there's a demand quack and a supply quack. Yeah. And, 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 and so it's, 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 you know, kind of like, sort of like we're in stagflation territory. I mean, it's kind of like one of these things that you, you normally expect to hit from one side yeah. and now you're getting it from both. And, and so I, I, I have no talent to really think this through in a very sophisticated way. <laughs> I, I do suspect, suspect that the impact will be, will be substantial. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it is a good reminder that when we think we know what's going to happen, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and uh, we'll, we're going to have to see how things evolve. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I mean, and the one, one, I think one point that should be borne in mind is we were already a little bit worried about this expansion. Yeah. Or, or maybe not worried, but puzzled that it had been going on so long that uh, um, um, the labor market showed times of being extremely tight, but yeah. yet not tight enough. I mean, there were some weirdnesses about this expansion. And so there was a sense that it's kind of fragile because we don't understand what's happening with it. And so maybe, you know, once you, this fragility um, um, will make it more more prone to to suffer by this by this disruption. Yeah, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of uncertain indicators and, uh, you know, you take a hit to it and some of the things that, you know, maybe could have come to pass may actually start coming, uh, coming into fruition. So um, I think, I think, you know, there's a real danger in for a rocky road ahead. And, you know, typically what we know is uh, when times get tough, it's often the most vulnerable, the low wage workers who, who really take the worst hit. Um, and so that's where the, I think the real, real worry is. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's how it hits first. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Eduardo. I really appreciate uh, uh, you taking the time to talk to us. And uh, uh, thanks again. Thanks to Million Alex. This was really interesting. Thank you for listening to Work. Subscribe to our podcast at work.ilr.cornell.edu or on iTunes. In upcoming episodes, our podcast will feature several prominent leaders in the labor movement beginning with a two-part episode featuring ILR School Dean Alex Colvin and Randy Weingarten 
president of the American Federation of Teachers. Do you have a recommendation for a guest or topic to be discussed on a future episode? Just click on the link in the show notes for this episode and leave your suggestions. Again, thank you for listening.